down, buckle up and turn the volume to 11. This is the Auto Action Rev Limiter with Auto Action's Bruce Williams and Paul Gover and your host, Andrew Clark. Hello and welcome back to the Auto Action Rev Limiter. And let me start by apologising for last week. We did record, but for a number of reasons we couldn't release the podcast. But don't stress, viewers, we're here and we're ready to approach the world with new coloured glasses and technology that doesn't fail albeit without Bruce Williams has been struck down by some kind of lurgy. And that leaves me with just, well, a little more than just, but it leaves me with one of the most respected writers in the country, Paul Gover. PG, how are you today? I'm terrific, thanks. It's odd, isn't it? Last week I was struck down. This week it's Bruce. Maybe we should be driving for Erebus. <laughs> Maybe. Hopefully we'll get through this one okay and we won't have, we won't have to abort the um, the. the the podcast at any point, so uh, yep. we'll see how we go. Um, we had a huge storm down here. It was probably like being up in Brisbane. I've seen trees that are wider than wider than my car falling over and things. And yeah, it's amazing, it isn't it? You know, like we all talk about you know life and what a difference we make, and then the storm comes along. You just realise, you know, yes. What did a friend of mine describe it as today? Farting against the thunder. <laughs> yes, no control. There are certain things that give you a better perspective on the world. I mean, I was quite sick a few years ago and it uh, changed the way I looked at the world and uh, I just want to move on and keep it all down, keep my head down, bury on, do the right thing. But anyway, um, I just wanted to say, yeah, yeah, we've plenty to talk about. Of course, we have taken a few hits of late, but um, probably like you, I've got a pretty thick skin. Um, and, oh, I've uh, got yeah. a very thick skin. I've been doing it much longer than you. Yes. Anyway, you probably, we don't panda- you probably haven't had a death threat actually delivered to you with somebody poking you in the chest and, <laughs> and then and having the driver involved having his mechanic jump in, in between the two of you to actually no, no, I'm going to hit him, I'm going to hit him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I once had a photographer mate of mine go to a publisher's office and put a baseball bat down on his desk and say it's about time we got paid. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've heard of that. I know a guy who went to a publisher's office and actually started taking things. <laughs> like literally picked up a chair, walked out of the office, came back, got a desk, got a computer that was on the desktop, and he stopped when he thought it was about time. And I know was he a photographer? Bloke, uh, no, no, he was a journal. And I know another bloke who um, uh, he was working for a gentleman. Anyway, uh, he used to do the the answering message for the company involved, and. Uh, <laughs> And six months after he died, I rang up and it was still the same message. I rang my friend and I said, what's going on? He said, I'm still, he's still working off what he owes me. And he's been dead for six months. Yes, yeah, so all that's life in the media, isn't it? Hey, yeah, oh, I yes. wanted to say, are you excited? This week it all kind of so, starts, doesn't it? The Bathurst 12 hour. We'll, we'll forget a little bit about what happened last weekend down here at Sandown. But, um, yeah, it's a big weekend, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is really the start of the season. I mean, um, last weekend there was racing at Sandown and at Phillip Island. Uh, but the interesting thing about Phillip Island, I've spoken to a couple of people who raced on the weekend. It's been resealed and it's massively fast. Like um, Alex Alex Davison was down there on the weekend driving his father's original Formula Ford and went quite quick, not quite as quick as his dad. But they both were talking about how much faster the track is. Obviously, Sandown hasn't even had a lick of paint. It is just Sandown. Um, it's a bit like me, really. <laughs> no matter what you do, you're still going to end up with something that doesn't look that great. 
That's right. It's not quite like Sharon Stone who hasn't had any facial work done, is it? No, no. <laughs> anyway, so let's quickly kick through. We'll kick through some news at the moment um, and yeah. we'll keep this part fairly tight and then we're going to waffle the two of us. Yeah. Um, so Brody Kostecki finally appeared in public. Um, didn't have much to say about what's going on, but uh, yeah, quite good. He got the um, the Peter Brock trophy and uh, acknowledged no, no, it's the-, the Peter Brock. It's the Peter Brock medal. Oh, medal, sorry. The trophy's up at Bathurst, isn't it? Yes, yes correct. <laughs> Yes, I saw the big O5 on the front of it, which uh, was interesting because that's what the whole um, the whole um, con- um, contested will was a couple of years ago. It was all about the uh, the O5 number. But anyway, let's uh, move on. Um, he didn't have much to say about what's going on in his um, life at the moment, but uh, I thought he was quite good in how he spoke about the tie in between supercars and touring cars and all of that kind of stuff. So, I, but I think good to see him out there. The, well, the thing about it is he looks fine. Right, so yeah. whatever's going on is between him and Erebus, and Erebus and him. Um, but the good thing is, the guy looks fine. You know, he doesn't look haunted. He doesn't look like he's, you know, not enjoying life or anything. Um, obviously, some parts of his life are maybe not where that he wants them to be. But it, I thought it was a great show from him to actually turn up to the Motorsport Australia Awards as well. Um, that's what you expect a champion to do. And that's what he's done. He doesn't need a number one on his chest to be turning up and prove that he's a champion. I think it was a champion effort for him actually to turn up and speak at all in that environment. And he looked so fit too. He looked like he was um, sharp and ready to go for the season, isn't it? So uh, well, not you never see know. Him. He could be in a car sooner or later. I'm sure, you know, at some point he'll be back in a car and he'll be the same as he as he's always going to be. Yes, he's uh, he's certainly been one of the great drivers of the last few years. I love the way he goes about it. So it would be great to see him back on the track. Um, and as you say, there are million rumours swirling around about all sorts of things, and uh, we're not going to play the rumour mill. Um, social media can be left to do that. So we are, um, yeah, we're just going to say it's great to see Brody. We're going to move on. Report the facts. He was there. He did look good. He got his awards. He said nice things. Bow bow. Move yeah, on. And let's hope we see him soon. Um, Supercar safety cars going electric. Yeah. Is that a is that a forerunner to the future? No. No, and in fact, one of the things one of the things I've been when they were doing the Gen Three thing, um, lots of people rang me up to talk about what was happening in the car world because, as you know, I don't just write about motorsport; I write about motoring. And they were asking, and they actually asked about putting hybrid packs in all of that. And one of the things they identified with is one of the huge appeals to fans is the V8 engine noise. Um, so why have they gone with electric pace car? Somebody's paying them money? I uh, would think so. And the thing about it is what's one of the uh, – so look at the supporting program um, categories that pay to be there and are high profile, and you end up at Carrera Cup and Toyota 86. So the relationship's already there. Porsche already have trucks going to race meetings. Um, Ford didn't want to do it anymore for a whole heap of reasons. Um, yeah, it makes sense. What does it do for Porsche? I'm guessing in some ways it exposes a different group of people to battery electric cars. And the fact is that that Porsche Taycan, I've just been in Germany and driven the updated one, um, that'll out-accelerate anything on the grid for a supercars race from, from stop to the first corner. Uh, of course, first corner, it'll be all over and they'll be all over the back of the Porsche, but it is a very brisk motor car in a straight line. And even the new model has a push-to-pass button. Gives you 10% of extra boost. Oh, cool. Well, I'm hoping one day they'll throw me the key so I can have a crack at one of them, but uh, I'm not as important as you. You're not as old as me either. 
one comes with the other, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll eventually get to your age, but I don't think I'll be as important as you are even then. Um, anyway, the, um, we listened to the bloke from BMW today, the little little media loving, and he was talking about the relevancy of V8 supercars, as he called it, because I still think we should be calling it V8 supercars. I'm with you. Because it doesn't have hybrid, and that's one of the reasons why they won't get involved, because there's no technology. That's a bunch of crap. Yeah, but as you say, it means it's purely a sport, doesn't it? It's like an entertainment factor for the Aussie racing car fan. That's and- right. You know, we don't need BMW necessarily, I don't think. We just need what we've got out there on the deck. And the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, the motorsport manager is going to talk to you about technology, but the most important person who's got to sign the check is the marketing guy. He's going to ask one question. Will it sell cars? And the answer is, no, it won't. So the answer is, we're not going to be in it. And if you look at the history of supercars, um, even Volvo came in and actually didn't sell any more cars. That's why they left. Mercedes-Benz knew it wouldn't sell any more cars. That's why they didn't get behind it when Betty and Erebus first came in. No, exactly. It's all about the marketing dollar. Um, Let's go through the Formula One car launches. Um, Have you seen anything interesting? I mean, a lot of black. (laughs) I I thought the most interesting thing was the the fit on the driver's suits for the um, for the Aston Martin team. Have you noticed they've gone they've gone a bit sort of uh, Jack Villeneuve baggy baggy? <laughs> well, Fernando's getting old. Maybe he needs a baggy suit. Oh no, I think it's more likely that the young bloke needs a baggy suit to carry his wallet around in. Um, but the thing about it is, um, so many of them now are dominated by black, and the and the funky fendoids around the place are going, oh, back, that's trendy. Well, no, it's not. Black's cheapskate and because I don't have to paint it, but black's also a way of saving weight. Did you know, Andrew, that the paint on a Formula 1 car weighs three kilos if you paint the whole car? So by not painting it at all, you save three kilos, so I'm guessing somewhere between um, no paint at all and lots of black, which we've seen again this year, there is a significant weight saving. It's a bit sad, isn't it, that Formula One's turned to that, that, um, you know, the cars, the base part of the car is so heavy that they can't get them down to the weight limit without skimping on paint. I mean, Well, but the thing about it is you think about the think about the batteries that are in the thing. Uh, somebody was telling me there are, are 11, 11 different cooling devices, I think it's 11, last year, on a, on a typical F1 car. So... You think, oh, it's got a radiator for the engine. Yep, it has. It's got also got a radiator. Well, except they don't call them radiators because they're not. But but each individual element of the whole hybrid package has its own cooling system, which is why when you see them on the grid, they're all packed up with dry ice and air blowing through them and all that stuff because they actually, although they have radiators, they don't have a fan anywhere. So when they're stopped... They instantly overheat. It sounds like the computer I looked at today that's got 12 fans and three water cooling elements to it. It's great. It's great, great business for PWR up in Brisbane. They make a hell of a lot of this cooling stuff. And I think I, I'm not, they won't actually, they've got confidentiality things, but I think there are now PWR elements on every car on the F1 grid. They've done a great job there, haven't they? Great job. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They even have their own wind tunnel. Yep. So aside from the um, Sauber going to pull rod suspension and um, running lots of green, have you seen anything else inter- no. interesting on the cars? No, I don't think so. I think I think the car we're all waiting to see is the Red Bull um, because basically everybody else has been rushing to find a way to catch up with them. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. And and this whole business of, of um, rear suspension design and stuff, well, the Aston Martin came out and, and gave away what Mercedes 
has in the back of their car, and we have we haven't seen the Mercedes um, because they share the same components in the back. But that whole th- apparently that whole rear end thing is about keeping the diffuser at a stable height so that you don't get a, a variation in the aerodynamic their grip at the rear of the car. Sounds like trying to sort out the front end of a supercar, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, well, the, the best way to sort out the front end of a supercar, as we've said before, is to take the spool diff out of them and put a limited slip diff in the back. Um, Dan Rick had some fighting words. Um, what's your take? Oh, I, I think he's just pumped up for a season. He knows, he, he knows he's got a seat for the whole year. How about that? As long as he doesn't break it on a finger. Yeah, which allow and he's, he's you know look at look at the group around him. He's sort of not an elder statesman, you know that that's Fernando. But um, you know, like he's been around long enough to be allowed to have a bit of fun, and he's still at he's at you know he's in the B team at Red Bull, so you know he can have a bit of fun. I think it'd be all much more seriousness if he was driving a Ferrari or a Red Bull for the coming year. Yeah, so Red Bull have seemed to have exercised their option trying to get Alexander Albon next year. Does that mean Dan Rick's push for the uh, Red Bull? Second seat is done. I don't think, and I don't look honestly. I don't think from this year on. I don't think Danny Rick was a serious contender for that seat. Um, if it was going to happen, it would have happened last year. They, they would have punted Sergio out. Um, I think Danny Rick's got a solid seat where he is, but I don't see. You know, if they're going to put somebody in alongside Max, they'll be looking to the future because even though Max is only thirteen years old, he's been on the grid for thirteen years. Yes. Um, now, one last thing on Red Bull. Christian Horner, <laughs> we're not sure exactly what's going on, do we? But uh, he's either been a very naughty boy or somebody's being very mischievous in at Red Bull. Yeah, exactly correct. And and, and it's exactly the same, you know, as the Brody thing. And, and, it's, and it's motorsport in general. You know, somebody takes one line out of one interview or one chat or one fact and spins it up in a way, in a way the whole thing goes. Um, yeah. Who knows what's going to happen there? You know, the fact is, um, you know, he was uh, – Christian Horner was appointed by Dietrich Matisic. Um, he's no longer there. Who knows what's happening at the Red Bull company and then how that affects Red Bull racing. You know, Helmut Marco, you know, is still around the place. He's a troublemaker. Um, and I say that in the kindest way possible, although most of the drivers have had anything to do with him. It will tell you that the sort of phone calls you get from him – well, if you're being honest about it and you're talking about, you know, a controlling relationship, just ask any of the drivers who've actually had to talk to him on a Sunday night, see how they feel about it. Um, what's going to happen, we don't know. Um, regardless of anything else, um, this destabilises the team to some to some extent leading into the new season. Um, the car's all there and, you know, Look, there's all sorts of speculation. Oh, if Horner goes, oh, then then Adrian Newey will go. Based on what? Does somebody ring Adrian Newey and ask him? You know, and and is Horner actually going to go? You know, you, you end up with these cascading news stories, which are if they're A, then B, C, and D. But we haven't even found out what A is yet. Yeah, but a business the size of Red Bull Racing would would have its own little compartments and its teams and its little team leaders. Yeah, that's right. Like, you know, Christian Horner could get hit by a bus tomorrow and I don't think it would make that much difference to the team. Yeah. We just might have a nicer person out front. Well, I don't know. He's probably lovely at home with his kids. The thing about it is you work in the, in the sort of business which is about succession planning. You know all about this from the legal side of things. You are remiss in your company if you don't have somebody who could replace you tomorrow. Um, and I'm sure they have all of those sort of fail safes all the way through. You know, why do you think everybody, every other team is trying to hire everybody down below Chris, below Adrian Newey? Because they know that they've he's learned from, they've learned from Newey, they understand the process from Newey, 
Um, and if you can't have Nui, then you have the next best thing, which is one of his deputies. Yeah, and it's the same thing as when, you know, Toto Wolf doesn't go to a race, Mercedes doesn't fall over, does it? It still keeps no, going exactly right. the same way as it did before. Yeah, so, correct. Um, it's a bit of a storm in a teacup. Yeah, a bit of destabilising, but um, yeah, I think that car had such an advantage last year that you need a bit more than a little bit of destabilising. That's right. Yeah. And it's something to talk about until next flicks comes out. You know, drive, drive to survive. You know, we've had we've had plenty of um, off off season uh, controversy. You know, with all the team manager changes and things and where's you know and of course somebody else said oh Gunter Steiner he should go to Red Bull well hang on we haven't kicked Newey out yet and they reckon that Gunter's going to be the one to go there I'm sure we can solve all of those problems well that's like saying I should be driving you know they're going to hire me to drive the Erebus car why not well yeah <laughs> all right we're going to we're going to take a quick break break PG and we're going to come back and uh, we're going to be a little looser as uh, Bruce likes to call it so viewers, the Chicago Street Race is coming, and trust me, it's a weekend well worth the effort. But rather than planning it all and running around and booking flights and accommodation and hire cars and whatever else is needed, why not just join the Gilligan's Tour? So if you want to watch Shane Van Gisbergen defend his inaugural title and try to add the Xfinity race as well this year, there is a very easy way to do it. And who knows, I might even join in as well. But as well as the getting the race in, and the two-day pass with reserved seats to catch all the action, the team at Gilligan's have lined up a short Route 66 tour as well, taking in the first 100 miles of the famous road with an overnight stay in Pontiac, Illinois. And you'll also be in Chicago for the July 4th Independence Day celebrations. All up, it's a 10-day tour to the Windy City, leaving Australia or New Zealand on the 3rd of July with accommodation at the Congress Plaza Hotel on South Michigan, right on the edge of the track. So if you want to join the tour, go to Gilligan's Route 66 com to book a place now but don't wait long because spots are limited all right pg we're back um this weekend bathurst 12 hour we're going to spend a bit of time um dissecting that uh, i yep. haven't paid as much attention to it as you have so i'm going to fire the questions at you and hopefully you will give me yeah yeah, yeah. you can you can interview me as if i was christian horner yes you'll give me these answers of a sage the wise old man sitting yep. in the corner <laughs> well and don't forget andrew you'll be getting the answers of a former class winner in the bathurst 12 hour Class winner. Excellent. Well done. Well, then you can probably explain to me the most important question I have for the entire event is why is it in GT racing that they only ever refer to the team name and they never put the drivers up? Because there's too many of them. It's only three. Yeah, but, I mean, does it really matter? Yes, of course it matters. They all have a hand grenade bloke that they pull the pin out of for the last stint. But most of the time, it's basically, um, it's got to do with the number of drivers in the car. And if, you know, I was watching, you know, you watch the Daytona 24-hour and there are five drivers in some of those cars. Now, I agree with you, they should highlight who's drive on the on the tower thing on the side. It needs to have who's the driver in it right bloody now. And, and in fact, Roland Dane, for all these other, you know, the fact that he's tied up with other things and other people and other organisations, he makes a good point that on the TV you need to have that sort of information quickly, easily presented to you as a viewer. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. That's what I want is when I'm looking at the telecast, I actually want to know who's in the car because I'm going to find out by who's in it. And and I'll know if I'm wanting to watch somebody. So let's say I want to, I want to know where Lowndes, Waters and Randall are. I'm not going to remember. I can't even remember now. I know it's car number 2222 because I've got it written up there. I don't know what team name it is. So if they're not telling me Lowndes, Waters, yeah. Randall, I've got no idea what no, the hell's going right. on. 
Well, the other thing about it is, really, you're watching to see driver against driver. Now, you and I are a little bit different because we understand about cars and that sort of stuff. But really, you know, you want to see who is uh, <clears throat> who is the money bags in each car and who are they up against and 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 what you know what's their lap time right now? Because the fact of the matter is, in a GT car, there is a huge discrepancy between the best drivers and the worst drivers, well, and the less best drivers. Um, uh, you know, some of them need to sit on their wallet just to see over the dashboard. Um, but the thing about it is you want to know who the people are. And it makes it, I mean, I'm there. I've been to a lot of these races and I find it confusing. But but when you see the best drivers, the A driver in each car against a driver, and it doesn't have to be at the end. It can be through the middle of the day. You know what I mean? Like, like Kenny Habul, who owned the winning car last year, you know, um, went missing and went and had a cup of tea up at his house because he actually owns a property on Conrad Strait. He was up there and they turned around and went, where's Kenny? We need him in the car. Oh, he's off having a cup of tea. Well, he wasn't just in the back of the garage. He was up at his house. But you know what I mean? Like, so you want to say, well, Kenny Abul's in that car and Craig Lanz is in that car and, you know, somebody else, David Reynolds is in that car. It gives you a much better understanding of what's going on with the race. Yeah, I think there's some great names to see in the cars in that last hour. But anyway, let's start. Is Triple Eight the favourite with Brock Feeney, Will Brown, and Green? Where is it? Grania? Grania? Grunier? Grunier. <laughs> Grunier. Thank you. Uh, no. No? No, no, no. I don't think so. The thing about it is, it's the first round of the season, with, effectively the first race, um, with a different BOP balance of performance. So, unlike supercars, which is basically the cars are identical, the good thing about watching these cars race is they're uniting them out over a lap. So one might have really good brakes, one's got good aero, one's got good power. So the thing about it is until we actually see them on the track and see what the relativity is, it's hard to know. But, you know, like Matt Campbell's driving a Porsche. He's just won the Daytona 24-hour race. He's one of their A-grade Le Mans guys. Now, he's with a couple of people I've never heard of, but that's only because I don't go to every GT race. That's the other thing is we know the relativity of the guys that we know from supercars, and some of them... And let's be honest, the last time Shane Van Gisman drove, uh, drove one of these cars at Bathurst, he was mediocre by his own standards. So he just he wasn't on the pace. Now, there was something wrong with the car or whatever. But but some of these guys who turn up, these, these blokes are the best in the world and they get sent out here by car companies to take no prisoners. Yeah. Do you know what I love about the 12-hour, seeing the 12-hour, is that these drivers come from overseas, the, the talented, the star drivers... They don't look like wombats like they do when they get into a supercar because of that bloody spool diff. Well, it's not just that. See, they drive these cars all the time, right? And I can remember when uh, – I can't think of his name now. It's uh, Bernd Schneider came out and drove in some sprint races in Australia in the in uh, Peter Hollywood Hackett's car. You remember that? Yep. And Hollywood – I remember Hollywood said to me, he was the, – the, the factory guy was pushing the brake pedal four times harder than he was. <laughs> that was how much pressure he generated. But that's what they do. They drive these cars all the time. So if these guys know the cars inside out. They're learning the track. Whereas, And when they come out as a guest driver in a supercar, they're learning the track and the cars and all the other drivers. So that's the other thing. They turn up and they know who they're racing against because they might have raced them in Abu Dhabi last weekend or Sepang or somewhere else. And it's, so it's a travelling circus with the Australian people plugged on top. So your point is we, we don't actually know who is the favourite because we've got no idea how the BOP is going to play out given it is the first yeah, race. Yeah, yeah, correct. And also we also don't know who some of these drivers are. Um, 
you know, there, there are some that we know that have been here before and most of the, you know, late 30s guys have been here before. Obviously, Campbell's been here before, um, but there'll be somebody there that you and I have never heard of and he could easily put the car on pole position, you know, just because he is so, so fast. He, I should say he or she, but there are no she's coming. So anyway. So we've got the four Mercedes that we know that's up at the top end. We've got the Feeney Brown Grunier car. Yep. We've got Lowndes Waters Randall. We've got Engel Reynolds Fraga and Habul Gunon and Stoltz. So uh, four big Mercedes entries. Yeah, absolutely. And and all of them have strengths and weaknesses. Um, but the basic thing is the cars will be the same. So it comes down to tactics and which drive you have at which time. I mean, Craig Lowndes is nearly as old as me. He's probably 103 or something. Um, and these guys obviously... Even though they will have tested, they won't have tested at Bathurst, so they won't know exactly what packages they've got under them. But, yeah, there are four very, very, very strong um, Mercedes-Benzes in the field. That car, Triple Two, is the one that fascinates me. Lowndes, Waters, Randall. I mean, whew, a couple of good drivers in there going on with the old bloke, isn't there? Yeah, but you wait till you wait till they uncock some of these Europeans. The thing about it is, you know, and Feeney in the past has been very, very good in these cars. And also um, Roland Dane, even though he's no longer the boss of Triple Eight, still is running the, you know, the GT program separately. And in fact, they had two wins um, in GT3 over in the weekend um, in the sandpit with some of those, you know, with 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 good cars, good drivers. So they know what they're doing. Yeah, and you say Matty Campbell's Porsche. That's probably the leading one from um, from Stuttgart. Uh, he's yep. got Bantor and um, Guven. Yeah, but that's the that's the uh, Mante racing car. It'll be a good car. Oh, and it'll look fantastic. Yeah, excellent. Now, of course, the one we all love is Valentino Rossi in the in the Mercedes in the BMW. I'm oh, sorry. Yes, you're right. In the BMW, it says it on my run sheet. Yeah. <laughs> so we got we got Rossi with Martin and Martiello. In yeah, the BMW. Hello. He's one of the hand grenade guys. I can remember talking to the when he was at Mercedes Benz a few years ago, said, Who's going to qualify the car? Oh, we don't know yet. Who's going to finish? And they'll point it at him. So when it's when it's the last hour to go, that's the bloke you put in the car. Yeah, he became a bit of a bit of a talking point in the briefing with BMW just before. So they've got clearly got some um, some some money sitting aside from him. Yeah, and there's another one with Vantor, Vanderlind, and Wurz. Yeah, <laughs> so yep, you yep, go. Yep, yep. Again, very strong. They're factory BMWs now. Effect, they call them customer racing. <laughs> yeah, no, they're factory cars, factory drivers, factory cars. They turn up, they trot around the world. And, in fact, the mob who's running them now out of Austria, no, Belgium, I think, they used to run the factory Audi team and they won the race before. So they know what they're doing. And and the other thing is they're part of the package that's involved with BMW going to Le Mans with prototypes. Cool. Well, I saw there's a couple of Audis in the field, but they don't. It seems like the battles between those Mercedes, the Porsche, and the BMW, from what I can tell. But uh, as I say, it's not my not my class, so I'm not um, not huge on it. Uh, I wish I had more time to understand a little bit more. Uh, three other supercar drivers to pay attention to: Kram, Chaz Mostert's in a GT4 McLaren, which is uh, going to be interesting. Percat, this Invitational class in a thing called an IRC GT. What the hell is that? Yeah, I'm not sure. I have no idea, but all the invitational stuff is things like the um, like the Mark cars out of Queensland, but they choke them down. They're not absolutely flat out. But I think I think Nick, like a whole lot of people, has just gone. You know, Davy Reynolds is just going to turn up because it's laps at Bathurst. Yeah. Oh, I think Davy Reynolds you is know? looking for a bit more than that. He's in with Marrow Engel and things. So, I'll have a good shot. Um, 
Yeah, and Marrow's very, very yeah. good too. And uh, Jackson Evans in a pro-am Porsche. So, uh, so those three guys. And there's a couple of others floating around. Lee Holdsworth's in there. I saw Tony Delberto and Luke Yildon and a couple of others. So, yeah, interesting times. So, you can't give me a favour. Can you give me a tip? Turn the TV on for the last hour. And, and I reckon it'll be one of the Mercedes against against one of the Porsches at the end. I think the BMW, uh, on on past form, the BMW hasn't been quite sharp enough. Now, the BAP might have changed. But the good thing about this is if, you, if you're watching the last hour and, and, and a couple of times it's turned out to be two or three of the same cars, in the past it's been Mercedes. But if the cars are different, then they can pass unlike supercars where you watch and basically somebody's got to drop their jaffers or run out of fuel for the pacings to change, and that doesn't happen in supercars. But in this, um, you know, as 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 uh, Matty Campbell proved, remember with that dynamic pass for the lead down into Forest elbow, they can overtake. So that's the good thing about it. It'll be racing to the end. Um, hopefully. Yeah, we should have tried to get Richard Crail on, but uh, he's got an opposition podcast, so he might not want to talk to us. But uh, Everybody's got an opposition podcast. You're nobody if you're not on a podcast these days. Yeah, I know, but he's the guy who's got all the knowledge. Anyway, the 12-hour, really looking forward to it. Um, still not sure how it's going to work with the 500 a week later, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what that does to the crowds or the attention on it. But um, anyway, it'll be good. It'll be a great race, and I'm really looking forward to this. You say that last hour is going to be cracking. Yeah, exactly correct. Now we're going to go into your little topic, your love interest, the Swedish rally. Yeah. Is it because you like blondes or is it because you like snow? Uh, the good thing about it is it's a proper ice snow rally. It used The Monte Carlo this year was just miserable and awful. Um, you know, they just look like they're driving around the countryside. I think the cars are far too fast these days. But when you put them on, it just adds – it's like Formula One, just add water. Well, World Rally Championship, just add snow. Um, and Sweden is stupidly fast. Um, but the penalties over there, you know, the, the the chance of somebody making a mistake and going off are very high. Um, the interesting thing about it is that, Kalarov and Pera, who's the defending world champion, but not defending his world championship because he's not doing a whole program, he's going to turn up and there's every chance he'll pants everybody else. He pantsed his teammate, uh, Elfin Evans. For those of you who don't know, that uh, pantsing is a British term um, for where an Australian would probably insert some swear words. Um, <clears throat> Rob, yeah, exactly. Robin Perra um, destroyed Elfin Evans in a in a lead up rally on snow a couple of weeks ago, uh, and then had a car failure on the last stage. So he's got the speed. Um, it'll be interesting. And um, the Rally Two group, which is things like Skodas and Toyotas and Citroens and things, that'll be red hot. And there are um, uh, uh, Rulo. Remember Alex Rulo? Yeah. His dad's driving in the oh. rally. His dad is not his, not, his, not not Alex. No, well, Alex and his dad both compete in the Australian Rally Championship, but he's but his his dad and a, a, a really good co-driver by the name Ben Searcy, they're going over and competing. So, and Taylor Gill, who's a young Australian bloke, still trying to make an impact in the in the big scheme of things. So, there's actually some a couple of Aussies in the the Swedish Rally. Yeah, well, I met a guy from Toronto last night, and he said there was no snow this winter. Um, you know, there's actually snow up there. No, it's up to the armpits in Sweden. And, in fact, they've moved the Swedish rally away from where it used to be to make sure they get snow. And the roads they're using are definitely snowed up. 
Oh, cool, because they had one a couple of years ago where it wasn't very snowy, wasn't it? No, it was just like murky and dirty. It was rocky dirt. It was just terrible. And the other thing is because they run studs, they run little metal stud tungs. They're made out of tungsten. The studs divide into the ice. And, of course, if it's not snowy, they just destroy the road. Yeah. Um, so Daytona's coming up as well. Um, I know you love your NASCAR stuff. Yeah. Look, I've, I've been watching the next Netflix video thing, see if it, I can get fired up about it. But, yeah, it's weird. This is just weirdness. It, it's sort of – it's assuming too much knowledge. It's assuming that you know how the championship works and who the people are. And the fact of the matter is there's 153 people competing each year Pardon me, and I don't know who they are except the ones that punch each other, um, you know. And then one of them said that, "Oh, I met my I met my girlfriend uh, on on social media," and it turns out she's the sister of one of the other drivers. Like, what he never saw her before, you know? It's like it's very strange. And when they go to their homes, have you noticed every single one of them has a McMansion? I oh, know they're big, aren't they? Yeah, money doesn't buy your taste. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I could have told you that ages ago. Now, I agree with you on that. The, the NASCAR thing, I don't think they, they didn't hit the mark like Drive to Survive when it first started, is it? It hasn't really captured the personalities. It hasn't given me knowledge as such. And yeah, that's right. Like, there are all these people standing on the they were on the stand at the races, but they don't explain who they are and what they're doing. Yeah. You know? and, and where's the footage of the spotters? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like all up there with their little bottles that they can pee in because obviously they can't just go off and do something else while the race is on. So I reckon they've all, they're all doing something to look after, you know, fluids out and fluids in. Yeah. But th- th- there's a whole episode in just being with the spotters. Yeah. You know, who are you? I'm Freddie Farnacle. What did you do? You know, oh, I used to be this or I was that or whatever. Oh, you know, I'm Billy Bob's brother, you know, and uh, he got it, you know. There's so much more there. I know. They're, they're assuming all this knowledge and moving the story on and left us all behind, you know. You yeah. lost me at hello. <laughs> I stood with the spotters at Nashville for a little while last year. It's a fascinating task. But also on the on the NASCAR website, it's talking about the big off-season changes. And some of the big off-season changes are spotters <laughs> changing teams. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. And, and as you yeah, say, yeah. this is the thing. If you don't watch NASCAR, tell me about the spotters. I mean, it is yeah. the most amazing thing. And you got even Van Gisbergen saying that, like, he avoided that big crash in Chicago because of the spotter. Yeah. You know, it, it's, yeah, it's amazing. I don't know why supercar drive teams don't have them. I know once they used to um, send people down the road at Sandown to watch the rain so they could report when the rain was coming in. But well, the- that has been done in the past at Bathurst. And, in fact, um, the late Alan Horsley, God bless him, lovely bloke, he, the weather, the bad weather comes to Bathurst from the from the direction of Orange, and I can remember one year he was the team uh, the team boss for Alan Moffat, and he actually had people in cars with very early mobile phones, you know, like the the brick on a stick type, and driving out and going, okay, I'm ten minutes away, no rain. Twenty minutes away, here comes rain. Da 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 da. And so he knew in real time because this is before they all had access to radar apps and that sort of stuff. But he, by sending people out as spotters on the road. They knew what the weather was going to do. Yes, it's fascinating. Anyway, you're looking forward to seeing SVG on a restrictor plate track? Yeah, I don't know what a restrictor plate I know what it is. Um, <laughs> look, I'm looking forward to SVG being in a pack of cars because 
if it was Australians, he'd be he'd be rubbing and tugging the whole lot of them, and they'd be frightened of him. But in a, in the USA, uh, there ain't going to be none of that. And the other thing is, he's going to have to learn a whole lot of stuff about the behaviour of the car. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. The trouble is, the chance of him being in the first five cars, which are shown on the TV. Not much. So are we going to see much of him? Will we learn much about what he's doing? I don't know. But hopefully, maybe that's when I'll get the knowledge of, uh, of NASCAR. I think they'll actually focus on him a little bit because of the Chicago win. So we might see a little more than you would expect from a mid-pack driver normally. But uh, oh, Yeah, and a rookie. I think there's plenty of other people out there who want to teach him a lesson as well, which I think is going to make, yeah. his, uh, it's going to make it hard for him. Yeah, if it was up to me, though, they'd put the Manti Racing colour scheme, you know, that bright fluoro yellow yeah. on Van Gis's car so we can pick him out of the pack. Because at yeah. the moment, what has he got on one of his Dark things? blue and quad lock. Yeah, quad lock, which, hey, I use quad locks on my bicycle, so I'm a big fan of quad lock. Oh, it's a great Australian company too, so it's great to see them over there. Yeah, sponsoring a New Zealander. Anyway, um, yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, so it, it'll be hard for us for a while to get. And the problem is you'll just get used to how it looks, that livery, and they'll go to a different category and a different sponsor and you won't find him again. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Isn't it? it is a hard sport to follow. So, uh, yeah. yeah, really hard sport to follow. You've got to be dedicated to it. But it's the start of a very long season yeah. um, with a bit of a break in the middle of the year. So, um, but anyway, it be interesting. Really, just like supercars, they're having a break. So how many races are there in the NASCAR season? 40-something, and we've got how many? 12. 30, 36 races in the NASCAR season. Yeah, and we've got 12. So they've got three times the racing we have. Yeah, I know, crazy. Um, what do you think of the idea of starting the season with the biggest race? Well, it's not the biggest race because you're always telling me the, the last race is the biggest race. Um, no, well, it's, yeah, well no, this is their bathhouse. The fact of the matter is... Um, that it's fantastic that they start that way. It's tradition. You know, Daytona's always been where it is. Um, and I think it gets – it's a really big – it's a really big kick to start the year. You know, like all of the footy codes in Australia are always trying to find, you know, the the secret source that gets people fired up. Well, Daytona is, is where NASCAR was born, out on the beach. And I've been to Daytona, you know, out on the beach. They raced on the sand. It's got history, but it's an amazing race. And the other thing is you never know who's going to win. Like Austin Sindrick won. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like there's some there are some guys who are amazing at winning there. You know, uh, Dale Earnhardt, what was his record there, you know? like And, the, and Mario Andretti won there and, yeah. never, and wasn't a regular in NASCAR. So it, it, anything can happen there. Yeah. Would you be offended at running Bathurst 1000 as the first race of the year? The problem with Bathurst is it's October. It's always been October. As long as I yeah. can remember, it's been October. Why can't we move it? Uh, because it's in October. And that's <laughs> where, you know, and it's always been there. It's it's the right time of the year to run it. You should not run the 1,000 when the potential is that it's going to be 45 degrees, you know, and 165 in the cabins. Um, and the other thing about it is um, yeah, everything after that will be a disappointment, wouldn't it? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Doesn't work that way for NASCAR because they got you know thirty five races, thirty five races of excitement. Well, they got so many things. They got the firecracker four. Yeah. They got the firecracker four hundred. But all the tracks are different. You know what I mean? That's the other thing about NASCAR is it gets shaken up. And when they get to the super speedways, it's different to Bristol or that stupid thing at the LA Coliseum. Yeah, or Darlington, which I'm going to this year, so that uh, that'll be good fun. I'm looking yeah, forward well, to Darlington. Yeah, Darlington's a great track. I think the LA Coliseum thing—that's, you know, like 
Dick Johnson used to joke that Winton was like riding a bicycle around your backyard, you know, like, well, it's, it's just stupid. Yeah. The only reason I even knew it was on was because Shane posted that he and, uh, he and Jess Dane were sitting watching it. Yeah. Sitting in the grandstands. Uh, anyway, look, that's enough for us this week, I think. Um, Yep. We'll have, plenty about, we'll have plenty to talk about next week because I'll be at Bathurst going? Um, watching what's going on and I'm keeping an eye on everything else. I'm actually looking to rediscover my youthful enthusiasm for motorsport. Uh, you're staying there all week or are you coming, going home or uh, going somewhere? No, I'm, well, I'm going to stay in Sydney. Uh, I've got friends uh, who live close to there. I'm, I'll be spending some time in Orange and that means that I can go out to the track early in the week and talk to the Super Duper Car guys before they pump their egos up for the weekend. Oh, beautiful. Well, you'll be able to um, put a little sticker down for um, to keep your spot in the media centre. <laughs> Absolutely. It, really, uh, is that how you do it? I thought it was about um, pantsing and, and, and marking your spot. <laughs> like the dogs do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, plenty of dogs in the media room. <laughs> anyway, don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget the digital magazines available online, the hard copies available in the stores. Uh, and also make sure you sign up for your free digital magazine starting in April. So you get a 12-month free subscription if you subscribe. And I reckon that's a pretty good bonus. I reckon it's fantastic. The more yes. of us, the better, Clarky. Absolutely. Wasn't it great not having Bruce talking today? We actually both got words in. We, we did. We, we did what? mention Bruce, but not that much. We just spoke over the top of each other for the first <laughs> time. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> What's going to happen? Anyway, yes, we did miss Bruce. Um, hopefully he'll be back next week and um, to uh, digest the 12-hour with us and uh, get ready for the big week at Bathurst, the 500. So thanks, BG, for your time, um, and we'll um, talk soon. We will indeed. That was the Auto Action Rev Limiter. We'd love you to subscribe and like our podcast and leave some comments. You never know when we're giving something away or we'll use your thoughts to guide the show. And don't forget to get your copy of Auto Action, the digital version. It's out every second Wednesday night and the print version is available on Thursday wherever you buy your magazines. Thanks for listening and thanks for understanding.